Today's reading is Acts 20, 22 through 38. It can be found on page 1026 of the Bible's next year seats as well as on the screen. This is God's word. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of everyone. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, some will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept, and as they embraced him and kissed him, what grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our God of grace, uh, we come into this place and um, a lot of us don't know each other. If we're new, we feel like, oh, everyone else knows what's going on here. Everyone else is comfortable. But the truth is we're all, in some way, in some aspects of our lives, we're on edge. <laughs> we, um, a lot of us come this morning uh, in some way, tentatively, feebly, um, in some way insecure or, not, or just feeling not there yet, inadequate. We come from different places. Some of us come very joy-filled. Some of us come like there was a, a faith that we felt at one time that we feel might be slipping now and doesn't quite ring true the way it used to. Others of us come and we're investigating something new and fresh. This message of Jesus has caught us a little bit and drawn us, and yet there's so many layers and questions. Some of us come needing a challenge, needing in some sense for your spirit to confront us and others of us come just needing so much tenderness and love. And from all these places, we now put ourselves before you. We look to you, and to some degree or another, we decide to hope or to believe that you are real. 
And you arrive in situations like this where people open up, crack open the doors of their hearts to hear you speak. Please speak now through the gracious message that your story tells that although we're more of a mess than we care to admit, through Christ we are more loved and accepted than we ever imagined. Teach us, heal us, renew us, and shape us through that grace. We now pray. Amen. Doesn't, it doesn't take much to find a story like the one that's been in the news lately. They seem like they're always there. They relate to leadership. This one was in the Wall Street Journal. Dean Skelos was forced, I don't know if I'm saying his name right, Skelos was forced out of his longtime role as New York's Senate Majority Leader on Monday in the wake of federal criminal charges that triggered the second overhaul of the state legislative leadership this year. Skelos, who had been the highest-ranking Republican in the state, and his son Adam were arrested and charged May 4 in an alleged criminal conspiracy to profit from the senator's political power. Senator Skelos, who is charged with monetizing his political position to enrich himself and his son in a bribery and extortion scheme. Um, And a lot of people say, yep, doesn't surprise me, so what? Not very many people are scandalized or super shocked when they hear of a leader operating like that. A lot of it because you have leaders that you talk about, that you have people in charge at your work. You know, one person says, oh, you should see this person in charge at my job. They, every single decision they make is clearly being made purely out of their insecurities. They're just, just flowing through the decisions they make. Someone else says, oh, that's nothing. You should see my place of work where the leadership is constantly seems to just be nurturing a culture of fear. People are tattling on each other. People are worried about getting fired. No one's acting genuine because everyone's just trying to toe the line. And it all goes back to the leaders. Someone else says, hey, that's nothing. At least they make decisions. My place of work, the leadership doesn't want to do anything wrong, so they don't make any, any decisions, and they just keep passing the buck. Someone else says, oh, that's nothing. You should see where I work. It goes on and on. You should see where I work. That, you know, this person loves to just shift blame everywhere. It's just a constant... This, you know, putting the blame on someone else over and over again. Someone else says, you know, at my place of work, we get together, we can't figure out a single thing, a single tangible thing that the person in charge actually does, <laughs> right? And some of you are saying, hey, you just said all the things about my, my boss. <laughs> my boss has all of those. <laughs> Our world needs good leaders, doesn't it? I saw a headline and some of the, I just kind of saw it out of the corner of my eye. And um, at first I thought it was because cause there's like some money figures in it and, a, and it was a school superintendent. And I thought it was just going to be another one of these articles about a bad leader extorting and bribing and whatever. And then I, so then I, I read it a little bit and I realized it was different. It was actually an article maybe uh, a week or two ago, I think in the last week, of a, a good leader. Twin Rivers Unified School Board members unanimously approved a $20,000 pay raise for Superintendent Stephen Martinez on Tuesday night. It says, the latest salary increase came after the board concluded the superintendent's annual review and 
or conducted the annual review and found his overall performance had exceeded its expectations, said board president Rebecca Sandoval. She said, Martinez has helped the district to put difficult issues behind it and move forward. Seems kind of rare, and yet it seems still possible that there's good leaders. I, I love in our dive discipleship group, which we're in dive 3.0, so there's six of us in the third version of this dive group right now, and we just concluded the phase where we tell our stories to each other. You know, in a 20 or 30 minute kind of time slot, you tell your, your, that amount of your story. And guess what's always a part of it? And this is one of my favorite parts, is the mentioning of actual people who turns out they were leading and influencing someone's faith journey along the way. We still inherently, everybody can come up with the list, the, the people, the names. I wonder if we'll try right now. Think of a name, first name, of a, someone who has influenced you positively in your spiritual life. And even think about it this way. Someone who, before you even ever showed up here, it might be someone who you wouldn't even be here if that person hadn't influenced you positively. And have you thought of a name, or maybe you've thought of four or five names? I did this this week, and I thought of about seven or eight names. And then there were people I couldn't even remember their names because it's from childhood. Let's say the first names out loud. Go ahead. Let's just hear some of them. Keep going. There's more. It was all kind of at once. Mm-hmm. People are talking. Yeah? Yeah? <laughs> I'm hearing, I'm hearing them. people don't want to shout them out so much, but I heard a lot of names right, off, right away. Everybody kind of said at least one name almost at the same time. So good leadership is still very much needed. We look to it, we want it, we long for it. Um, and then we turn to this story where the Apostle Paul has a very touching farewell to leaders that he has been a part of shaping And, um, and we see a whole bunch of things that cast a bigger vision and connect with the bigger vision of the Bible that shows us God's super, super duper deep concern for good leadership. God orchestrates, even in our broken world with terrible examples of leadership, God orchestrates good leadership for his church and its mission the body of Christ. God is still actively orchestrating good leadership. You just proved it to me by saying all those names. And so in this passage, a couple things connect with that orchestration. First, God's big, big concern for leadership. And second, the church's obstacles that require good leadership. And there's obstacles in, in and there's obstacles out. And this passage connects with both of them. So let's Let's consider first God's concern. You almost can't get a clearer example of God's concern for leadership than when he's, um, he says this through the prophet Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 2 through 4, if, you're, if, you're, if you like following in the Bibles, it's page 795. I'm just going to read two short sentences, or maybe you know, a little more than that. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? 
You eat the curds, clothe yourself with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays, or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. God cares deeply about good leadership. It troubles him. He's greatly concerned when there's bad leadership. And the bigger story of the Bible eventually leads us towards God intervening. In fact, the whole gospel message of the Bible, of the New Testament, of Christianity, could be summed up as God's leadership intervention. Where God, through Jesus, arrives on the scene, finally, to provide the definitive possibility for us who are all like sheep and have gone astray, to finally be shepherded, to finally have a good shepherd. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. You ever, you, you ever think about how much, if you've read much about Jesus in the New Testament, if you read through one of the Gospels, you'd be surprised how irritated and frustrated he is with the bad, self-interested religious leadership. It's the same God from Ezekiel chapter 34. It's the same frustration. And he goes in and he turns over the tables in the temple. I am the good shepherd. How does a good shepherd lead? Oh, so differently. So differently than the way leaders tend to lead. In our world still today, the articles keep coming out. Self-interest, self-gain through your position of leadership. The good shepherd leads. The good shepherd knows his sheep by name and gives his life for the sheep. That's the one, that's the one part of the shepherding analogy that is so ridiculous that it doesn't even make sense. And it's meant to be that ridiculous. What happens if a shepherd gives his life for the sheep? They don't have a shepherd. I mean, it... It stretches your mind to the fullest edge, the farthest edge of that analogy to say this is how good the good shepherd is. This is how completely opposite from our evil human nature's way of leading that God wants leadership to exist in our lives. And so Jesus, when he comes to the end, he's, he, well, he's the good shepherd who can give his life for the sheep because he rises from the dead. So we still have a shepherd. But even though he's still our shepherd, as he ascends, before he ascends, he hands off the sheep. In John chapter 21, Jesus says to Peter, feed my sheep, take care of my lambs, take care of my sheep. He says it three times to, to mirror the three denials of Peter. He reinstates them three times with that main handoff of leadership. Now you. Jesus hands it off. And then we started this whole series, or I don't know, no, we didn't start it. A few weeks back, we had a sermon on Matthew 28, some other last words of Jesus. Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them. And this is, another, this is part of this handoff of the flock. And the Apostle Paul continues this tradition in Acts chapter 20 when he says... Um, If I look at verse 28 of the passage that James read, be shepherds of the church of God. 
which he bought with his own blood. It's a handoff of the flock. Paul can't be there anymore. Paul already himself is an under-shepherd who has been called by God to shepherd God. Jesus is the true shepherd, but he's an under-shepherd. And now he hands off the under-shepherding work to these others. And things now have gone full circle, haven't they? Because it started off, what I read from Ezekiel, was a God looking on from a distance saying, whoa, this leadership has gotten completely everything backwards, to him entering in and being present and giving his life for the sheep. But then he ascends, and now the good shepherd's gone, and the handoff has happened again, but something new. There's something new. There's, as Paul says in, in this passage, he says, um, be shepherds of the church of God, which he has bought with his own blood, Where did I? Oh, right before that. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Paul even acknowledges the Holy Spirit's role. Paul's not even taking responsibility for the handoff. God has already handed it off. And through the Holy Spirit and through this new epic change in our relationship with God through the Good Shepherd, there's a whole new possibility now for leadership, for good leadership for what we call gospel-inspired leadership. Something has changed when the good shepherd gave his life for the sheep. And we're not doomed as a church to end up with that Ezekiel 34 self-interested shepherding. In fact, this is, let me just read the difference, what I think is the difference because of the gospel, between world leadership and gospel leadership. This is what's possible by the gospel. The world looks for leaders who command your attention. The church looks for people who give you their attention. The world looks for leaders who tell people what to do. The church looks for people who listen long enough to hear what's really going on. The world looks for leaders who are impressive on the outside. The church looks for people who are impressive on the inside. The world looks for leaders who have a lot of money. The church looks for leaders who give away a lot of money. The world looks for leaders who can list their successes. The church looks for ones who can admit their failures. The world looks for leaders who are in with the right crowd. The church looks for leaders who intentionally make friends in the wrong crowd. The world looks for leaders who are attractive on the outside. The church, attractive on the inside. The world looks for leaders who have strong opinions. The church, strong fruit of the Spirit. The world looks for leaders who are going fast. The church, for leaders who are patient. The world looks at the leaders and what they do in their work. The church looks at what leaders do in their family. The world looks for leaders who seem in control and in charge. The church looks for leaders who seem humble and flexible. The world for leaders who are successfully leading others. The church for leaders who are actively accepting leadership in their own lives already. The world looks for leaders who often get their way. The church for those who yield their way to others. The world looks for leaders who are currently popular. The church looks for leaders who are forever faithful. And that's possible because of God's great concern for good leadership shown through the good shepherd arriving and giving his life for the sheep. There's also obstacles. Let me just quickly mention how Paul points, as he hands off leadership, to obstacles from out there and obstacles from in here. 
He first talks about obstacles out there when he says in verse 28, and this is, this is pretty intense grab-you kind of language, keep watch over yourselves and the flock that the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God which he has bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, here's the obstacle, the threat, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, some will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. I spent a fair amount of time just looking at these verses and trying to grasp what exactly does the Apostle Paul want these leaders to do with this information of these wolves coming in. He clearly wants them to be on guard, attentive. But I think beyond that, I mean, beyond the bigger theme of attentive, he's speaking against a disconnect in leadership from those they are leading. He's speaking against a complacency. But beyond that, it's not real specific, is it? It's, it and I don't think he's just trying to make people paranoid that something bad is around every corner. I think he's being realistic. And he's getting at the kind of challenges that will face leaders in his church. Philip Keller writes these books. I've often referred to them. He writes about the shepherding analogies in the Bible from the perspective of being a real-life shepherd in East Africa. So he tells this story. He says, I recall vividly the love, loyalty, and undivided attention of the Maasai in East Africa to their animals. For years we lived among them. I never ceased to marvel at the incredible fortitude of these people in providing the best care they could for their livestock. No price was too high to pay to protect their stock from predators. Why? Because they owned them. Think about leadership in the church now. Why? Because they owned them. They had a stake in them. They loved them. They were not hirelings. Just a few days after we moved into the Maasai country, a small, slim boy, about 10 years old, was carried up to our home. He had, single-handed, tackled a young lioness that tried to kill one of his flock. In the self, listen to these words, in total self-abandonment and utter bravery, he had managed to spear the lion. The mauling he took almost cost him his life, we rushed him to the nearest hospital 27 miles away where his young life was spared as, as by a thread. Why did he do this? Because the sheep were his. His love and honor and loyalty were at stake. He would not spare himself. It seems like churches are in need of diligence in leadership. Constant connection to the conditions of the flock. And a sense of connection strong enough to, to tap into the bravery of one who shed blood for you to save you. You're never, if you're a leader, and if I'm a leader, we never, sh as a leader, we don't, we don't buy the sheep with our blood the way that Paul talks about Jesus doing, but we might have to shed some along the way to protect them. Every church leader I know could tell you stories. 
of losing blood to save the flock. Now, or to protect the flock. Jesus saves the flock. Now, also there's threats from the inside. And it's a little bit subtle how Paul does it. And I think there's, there's pastoral savvy in being subtle when you talk about issues of greed and financial gain. But we all see it in leadership. We all see and we're all skeptical of the mixture of leadership and money. We see so many bad examples of it. So he introduces it by saying in verse, let's see, um, he says in verse 32, Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who were sanctified. And then he transitions. He says, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know what these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. And everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. He's speaking into the ever-present threat from within of financial gain. And somehow, you could wrap up just any personal gain in this, but he gets specifically into how he spent his time in this place um, earning his own living. And as he says in another place, he, he argues confidently that one who lives out a calling to preach the gospel has every right to ask and to find a way to, be, to earn a living through that ministry. And he, but he often says, for the sake of the gospel's credibility, he, he didn't do that especially in these newer places that might not understand the mixture of leadership and money. So he's saying here, I didn't do what I could have done. And then he summarizes it by saying this very important thing for leaders, it is blessed, more blessed to give than to receive. And he cites Jesus as the source. You know, you look back through the Old Testament and man, it's, it's interesting how this comes up over and over again. Like if you, if you pulled up uh, some of these stories from 1 Samuel and leadership we have this guy Eli, and what do he, and he's this great leader, he's this great priest, and his sons kind of take over his ministry, and what do they do? But they start tweaking the rules a little bit so they can get more of the, more of the sacrifices and the good meat from the innocent worshipers coming forward. Then we learn, not only are they doing that financially, but they're sleeping with the women who work at the temple. So there's all this selfish interest. So first, Eli's a good leader, then his sons. This is what they do. And then comes Samuel, and Samuel's a great leader, and he goes around judging and all traveling in all the towns, and he gets a little too old. His sons take over, and what does it say that they do? But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. It's like this constant coming back to this. This is a constant thing in humanity. Ben Witherington, as he comments on this passage, talks about Paul's words. He says, The Greco-Roman world was honeycombed by social networks grounded in the principle of reciprocity, giving and receiving. Paul's exhortation here is to break that cycle and and, and serve and help those who can give nothing in return. Not only is it Don't try to gain, but even that you would lose in leadership. Expect good leadership to be in some ways, in in personal gain and financial gain, a losing battle. How is that possible? How can we have the motivation? Maybe you even, if you're a leader, you want to be that way. How can you be that way? You say, it sounds impossible. 
that I would be willing to kind of let myself go through with that. It's possible he forecasts it in this passage. He gives you the answer, and it's all about the gospel. No surprise. He gives a gospel keyword, buzzword, that sort of opens the door to the issue when he starts it out. I kind of flagged it a little bit when I read it. I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He's doing gospel talk, and inheritance is great because you know in our world an inheritance kind of has this promise, right, to fix your life and to set you up. You know, someone gets an inheritance. And so we immediately can use that word and switch and talk about what we have through Christ with God, through the cross, that we have this inheritance and it does what we imagine, even though money actually doesn't do this, we imagine money is going to fix our life. And you switch over and you go, now you have a different inheritance that fixes your life. And it really does. It fixes you so much. The grace of God through Jesus in your life gives you so much of a foundation that you can, pour your, you can find yourself in situations being willing to pour yourself out because you have plenty. You can move from a, a mentality that most of us live in most of the time of scarcity. We're afraid to help. We're afraid to give away because we think we kind of have to hoard and gather. And we're very self-interested even in our leadership attempts. You can move from that to an attitude of abundance. Give yourself away. The best leaders that I've seen uh, seem to have an, an, um, an unending supply of love giving themselves away for others without receiving something in return. And I'm, the only explanation I can say is that it's the gospel. It's the, inherit, the true inheritance. It's the reason you're here right now. It's my hope for all of you is that God will some way, sometime in a small group or in your private prayer time or here at a sermon or in a song or in an experience of rock bottom that you'll get in touch finally with that inheritance. And it will change your life. So many things that, you, that are impossible for you to deal with or do right now will be switched on that fulcrum of experiencing the inheritance that God gives you. Well, I'm, I'm at my end, really. Can I just say a few points of being sheep? If this is all true about leaders, how do you be led? Real quick, just know that you're a sheep and you can't self-shepherd. I know because I've tried. Um, I try. I still try a lot. Self-shepherding is going to get you in trouble. Look at how sheep function. They get diseases. They get in ruts. They, they go to the same ruts and then they fall and they can't get up and they die with their feet in the air because of how their biology is. Now that's, that's, how, that's you. Sorry. But it's also, it's also me. And you don't believe it, but there will be a time in your life when you will see that that is true. Um... Don't participate, this is like tip number two, very important. Don't participate in triangulation. If someone, okay, first of all, if you have an issue with someone else in community or a leader in community, go straight to that person. If you want a a, a biblical rule around this, go to Matthew chapter 18. Go straight to that person first and talk to them. If someone comes to you, ask them, have you talked to them yet? And don't engage until they do. 
that, that is a way you can cut off even someone else's participation in what is unholy gossip and leads towards division. Like Paul said, wolves will come in and they'll take, lead some away from the flock. That's how it happens. It's the chief way that I've seen and others talk about people division starting. Go directly. And if you say, well, but that leader's not approachable, that might be true. It also might... You also might need to be checked in that because that's the most common excuse given for when people are permission giving of themselves to gossip is to say they're not approachable. Maybe they aren't, but maybe it's just really hard to approach someone. And then, okay, these real quick. Pray for your leaders. It's another one. Look for credibility in your leaders through a gospel lens, not a cultural lens. Tell your leaders what you're going through. Don't just announce to them later uh, what happened. It's a test of whether you're being self-led or whether you actually are receiving some guidance along the way. Um, a sheep doesn't come to a shepherd and say, I'm, I'm ready for the grass that's greener over there, so I'll be leaving the flock now. In a sense, the sheep are led by the shepherd and, and receive leadership. In a sense, they learn to know they need good leadership. So even a decent shepherd, will, your life will thrive so much more than if you're not led. And then prioritize your relationship with the over-shepherd first and allow that under-shepherd to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus. Let's pray. God of grace, uh, Thank you so much for your tenacity in orchestrating good leadership for your mission. I pray that you do that in city life in this, in this time that we have in the next few weeks where we're nominating leaders and beginning an exciting process. I pray also that you speak to us about the inheritance that we have through the Good Shepherd. How it all really goes back to we have been bought, as Paul says. We're a flock that has been bought and we are valuable to you. And the cost was big, but you took it so that you could bring us home. May we know that, and may that settle our agitated hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.